This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Sport Objective. We're coming to you on a Thursday night uh, on YouTube, Facebook Live, as well as Twitter. You can also hear this pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. And uh, we've got a big show of a lot of college football talk for you. And before we get to that and our first guest, I'd like to welcome in Kyle Barber. Kyle, how are things? What's going on, Bubba? Yes, uh, we're sitting here on a uh, Thursday night in January, looking ahead to the national championship game and transfer portal and everything else going on in the world of college football. And uh, it's a two-man crew tonight, Bubba, just, just, just the two of us. And, the coach, of course, uh, Coach Blackwell. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited to welcome back to the show former East Carolina defense coordinator, longtime college football coach and veteran, uh, David Blackwell. Coach, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on tonight and uh, look forward to visiting with you. Absolutely. Coach, we, uh... Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, Coach, before we went live, we were talking a lot in the green room and uh, we kind of worked backwards. Uh, I think the main topic of discussion is looking at the national championship game and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But we, we were kind of talking about conference realignment a little bit right before we went live. And, you know, uh, Skip and you guys were at Louisiana Tech this past year and uh, the staff was let go. And, and But I, I wanted to kind of keep talking about the conference realignment stuff as we go live here. Uh, Louisiana Tech got left behind in Conference USA. Louisiana Tech was extremely successful in Conference USA. Uh, I think Conference USA is lucky to be existing now, honestly. It looked like Eastern, or excuse me, it looked like Western Kentucky and Middle were going to go to the MAC, which I don't know what Louisiana Tech would have done had that happened. Um, so, thankfully, they stayed in CUSA, and I think uh, bringing in Liberty was a good move. Um, I, I think uh, CUSA is probably – is about as in good a shape as it could as it could be in with all it lost. But what what happened down there? I, you know, there was a lot of speculation that the Sun Belt didn't want Louisiana Tech because of poor relations between La Tech and Louisiana Lafayette and poor relationships between La Tech and Monroe. Some hurt feelings going from way back when the Sun Belt was formed as a football league. Uh, and, and then there was also speculation that the reason Louisiana Tech didn't get into the Sun Belt is because they wasted too much time trying to get into the American um, instead of moving ahead to go to the Sun Belt when they had their opportunity. Do you know what the truth is there of why they got left in CUSA? Yeah, you know, I really don't. I, I You know, the uh, one of the nice things about being a coach is you kind of got your head down and you, you, you kind of grind away and those decisions are made way above your pay grade um, usually. But I do know there were some hard feelings, you know, here between the Sun Belt and Louisiana Tech as far as when they first formed and, and Louisiana Tech preferring to stay in Conference USA at that time. And then, you know, there's always been a, a kind of a rivalry and, and some hard feelings, jealousy, whatever it is between Lafayette, Monroe and, and La Tech. And, you know, so I think, you know, obviously I think as conference realignment goes, a lot of times when you start looking at state by state, 
you know, what you don't want a lot of times is, is you start getting too many schools in the same state. And that was one of the things uh, I was at Jacksonville state for four years. And at one time, Jacksonville state had an opportunity to move up beforehand and, you know, but then all of a sudden South Alabama moves up and goes into the Sun Belt and Troy's in there. Now does the Sun Belt really want a third Alabama school, you know? And so I think, I think that figures in sometimes too, where all of a sudden you get, uh, you get too many schools from one state in. And so, I, you know, obviously I think conference realignment is, is something that's ongoing. I think every time people think it's over, it's, it's never really over. I mean, when you look at uh, what happened this year with, with, with Texas and Oklahoma, where, where it really was behind closed doors, no, the, the, the Big 12 was completely caught off guard and, with, and, and shocked by it. Uh, you know, I think there's behind the closed doors, you know, Wink, wink, nod, nod, and wink is going on all the time, and and I think they'll continue to be, and and I think uh, you know the, you know a lot of people now look at the AAC as is where they want to go when you're not a when you're when you're in a group of five is it's the, you know it, it's back when I was coming through everybody wanted to go to Conference USA you know back when it was first going Conference USA had Louisville it had I mean it, it was basically what became a lot of the Big Twelve and the ACC you know is is realignment in the big east you know all that went on but you know through the years we all see conference realignment and i think it'll continue and where it stops who knows i think that definitely the rich are going to get richer you know i think there's probably a lot of thought process where you know towards taking the elite schools and forming their own deal and creating a whole nother separate level and things like that you hear that kind of talk but i think you know no one really no one really knows what's going to happen but i do know that Probably the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the, you know, those schools really control a lot of it. The Pac-12, they, they really control a lot of what happens in college football nowadays. And, Coach, um, talk about this season, you know, from the standpoint, Coach Skip Holtz, all the success that he and uh, his staff, which you were part of there for the last few seasons there in Ruston, um, tremendous amount of success. Uh, we were talking about that before we went live as well what, seven or eight bowls in a row prior to this season and had won, what, all but maybe one of those games. So yeah. um, kind of caught me off guard on when when you and the staff were let go. But uh, and this year, especially all those near misses, like against NC State, Mississippi State. Uh, so but just kind of talk about the opportunity that you had to work with Skip Holt, somebody that we obviously think a lot of, um, had a lot of success during his five years in Greenville. Well, you know, it was a disappointing season for us. I mean, we, we were in a bowl game a year ago. We were really one or two plays away from playing for a conference championship last year. Uh, we, we lost a really close game to UTSA last year and beat UAB. And, you know, had we had we finished that game off against UTSA, would have played in the conference championship game last year against Marshall. And, you know, went to a bowl game and, and uh, had had really a bad bowl game. We didn't play well. The, the you know, turned the ball over a bunch, but really felt good about what we had coming back this season. And, you know, we're up big on Mississippi State, 34 to 14, you know, or 34 to 17 in the start of the fourth quarter and and gave up a kick return and, and kind of things, momentum shifted and, and they came back and and came back and took the lead. And then we went down and missed a field goal the last play of the game. And, you know, then, you know, you had the SMU game where we give up a Hail Mary the last play of the game uh, to lose. And then, you know, NC State was another one that was a, a one-score game. We're on, we're driving to 
to win the game right at the end of the game, just run out of time. Ball, we had the ball down on about their 20-yard line going in at the end of the game, you know, in, in a really close game, a six-point game. And, you know, so we had a lot of those opportunities this year, and, and it just didn't go our way. Uh, Old Dominion kicked a field goal the last play of the game to beat us. You know, we just had so many of those really close losses and just didn't, you know, the momentum part of it, we, you, you like to go back and think if, if we close out the Mississippi State game, we close out the SMU game, the NC State game, and get the momentum, get the confidence, those kind of things, what would have happened. And, you know, it was disappointing after, you know, Coach had been to seven straight bowl games and, and uh, or eight straight bowl games and had won seven of them. Uh, you know, that uh, it was disappointing he wasn't given another year an opportunity to fix it. But that's the nature of the beast right now. Is, uh, like we talked about before we came on air, uh, I worked for four years at Jacksonville State with John Gross. And, you know, they won the conference in the spring. You know, uh, he, he won the conference, went to the second or third round of the playoffs in the spring, and then, you know, beat Florida State this fall, but struggled and, and ended up getting let go. And, uh, you know, right. but that's uh, it, it's definitely, you know, I think the, as salaries continue to go up and things like that, the pressure is going to go up. And, you know, you it's not what you did in the past. It's what you do this year. And unfortunately for us, we didn't get it done. Coach, that, that is insane to me. Uh, I did not realize Jacksonville had just literally, if everybody remembers, the, uh, the, uh, the 2020 FCS football season was played spring 21. I did not realize Jacksonville State had won the the uh, is that the Ohio Valley? What conference? Yeah, is that? the Ohio Valley. Yeah, they they won yeah, the they, conference they, and then went uh, lost to Delaware in the quarterfinals semifinals. Uh, they were yeah. The interesting thing was uh -huh. them and Delaware both you know um, played in the, Delaware ended up going to the final four last spring and then both staffs were let go this fall. You know, which was interesting. Wow, coach, I, that, that is incredible. Coach, there in Ruston, uh, you had the chance to work with a fellow Pirate and Joe Sloan, offensive coordinator. And, um, you know, Joe recently was hired by Brian Kelly to be the quarterback's coach for LSU. Um, talk about Joe. Oh, just, uh, you know, again, guy, you talk about a guy bleeds purple and gold now. I mean, he, you know, he, he, uh, He's definitely a pirate. I mean, he's a huge pirate fan. The guys around the office kid him about it because he talks about East Carolina all the time. And so he gets to wear purple and gold now. So he'll, he'll be excited about that. But no, I talked to Joe earlier today. He and I he, we're neighbors. We live in the same neighborhood. So he, he lives down the street from me. And so, <coughs> excuse me, this great opportunity for him. Obviously, front end of a deal with, with Brian Kelly at LSU, one of the storied programs. You know, it's a great it's a great opportunity for him, and and we're excited for him and, and and happy for him, and and I think he'll do a great job. You know, he's a guy that's going to dot the i's, cross the t's. He's a great recruiter. He, he's a young guy that, that's got a lot of energy, and and I think he'll have he's got a great future ahead of him. That's landed on your feet. I mean, I know he was OC at La Tech, but you you really can't look as quarterback coach at LSU as being a step down. No, not at all. That he, he absolutely hit a home run, and, and he knows it, and he's very grateful and uh, excited and, and should be. And uh, I think he'll do a great job there. Yeah, and Pirate fans should keep an eye on him. As a quarterback coach at LSU, it would be interesting to see if he gets another OC opportunity at the FBS level down the road. And uh, always coaching changes, as you mentioned. Coach Houston appears to be on the rise, which means Power Files will come knocking. So Pirate fans should probably keep an eye on Joe Sloan. Yeah, no question. No doubt.
coach, somebody you also uh, had the opportunity to work with in the past um, during your days at Fordham um, was, of course, Joe Moorhead, former Mississippi State coach, Oregon offensive coordinator, was hired as the new head coach at Akron. Yeah, and, you know, that Joe really wanted to get back towards the East Coast. I think, you know, his parents and his wife's parents are both in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. You know, for him, it's an opportunity to get back to the eastern part of the country. And I, and I think he had the itch to be a head coach again. You know, he was very successful at Fordham, you know, did a great job at Mississippi State. Uh, honestly, I mean, he, you know, he went to two bowl games in two years. And, and you know, really, I think sometimes, as people know, <coughs> excuse me, is it's hard to follow an immensely popular coach. And Dan Mullen had done a tremendous job at Mississippi State and kind of raised the bar there a little bit. But, you know, I think sometimes programs need to look at their past a little bit. And, you know, when a guy comes in, goes to two, two bowl games in his first two seasons at your school, is definitely, you know, at a school that's really – has struggled in the past. Uh, I think, you know, it was disappointing to see him not get more time at Mississippi state and, you know, it, uh, but I think it was good to see him land on his feet and, and at Oregon. And now he's got an opportunity to run his own program again at, at Akron. I think he'll do a great job. Yeah. I followed well, Joe Moorhead for a while. I loved him at uh, Fordham, uh, then, uh, then associate Penn state. And then, uh, Went on Mississippi State, and when Akron hired him from Oregon, to me, when when you look at resources versus hires, so I, I rank head coach. Everybody said USC had the best hire in college football, hiring Lincoln Riley, and you could arguably they did, but USC could hire anybody they wanted to. Akron hiring Joe Moorhead was to me the best hire in college football. For them to pull that off, who who in the hell was Akron going to get better than Joe Moorhead? And I really believe had he waited a little bit, he'd got the Temple job. I could be no, wrong on that. No, I, I think you're right. I think, I mean, when you look at, I mean, to be able to, to have a guy take as, as big a pay cut as he took to take that job, you know, now a good thing for Joe. Joe was the offensive coordinator there under J.D. Brookhart. Yeah, I remember that. And they won a conference championship, actually won the MAC championship when he was there. And so he's familiar with, with the program and, and the area. And so I think he, you know, as is the case, I think sometimes it's kind of like I said when I came to ECU and the defense was the worst in the country. You know, there's nowhere to go but up. And that's kind of how he's – I think I'm sure he's looking at Akron is that way is, you know, it, it can't get any worse. So anything you do is going to be an improvement. And, and you know, we made great improvement in one year. And, and we're third in the nation in tackles for loss, top 15 in the nation in sacks. I mean, we were – top 10 and forced three and outs. And we improved a hundred yards a game and almost 10 points a game, you know, from one year to the next, but you know, you're still putting lipstick on a pig because we statistically, we still weren't a great, great defense. And I think they're finally starting to turn the corner with some stability defensively there. But I think Joe's got an opportunity to kind of come in and do that and make it, you know, make a lot of improvement and continue with steady improvement on the front side of a deal. Coach, you mentioned your year here at East Carolina under uh, under Scotty Montgomery. Um, do you think, had you been here since year one under Scotty Montgomery, uh, things would have went differently w with his tenure? And and just in general, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about practice style under under Montgomery when he was here. Can, can you talk about that? Were, yeah. Were, did, did you I, think that, that we were physical enough in practice in terms of 
thud and all that kinds of stuff. Yeah, we I mean, honestly, this the spring I went through and the fall I went through there, we were very physical. I mean, as far as practices, we a lot of live scrimmages, a lot of live work, a lot of you know, team run game, the things that we didn't get. And that was the same thing that we kind of got this year with Coach Holtz is philosophically the style of offense that, that they ran and the style of offense we ran here under under Joe and under Skip is, you know, a heavy four-wide set offense where you don't get a lot of the tight end sets, two tight end sets, which from a defensive perspective, it, it makes it a little tougher sometimes because a lot of teams you play are going to give you those looks. And so sometimes you don't get all the looks you're going to see in games you know, uh, Scotty was good about doing it for us, trying to help us with that stuff. And, you know, I do believe had I been there longer, I mean, I, you know, the year before I got there offensively, they were very competitive, you know, and they lost several close games. And, you know, I, I think the, you know, the year, you know, my year there, we, we struggled on the offensive line. We were young on the offensive line. We had a ton of injuries on the offensive line and, and uh, you know, and then, <clears throat> we're inconsistent quarterback position with, you know, unsettled there with, you know, trying to kind of had the dual, the dual monster going with, with two playing two quarterbacks and then Holton taking over halfway through the year and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think we were kind of finding our way offensively that year. And whereas the year before they were, you know, offensively, they were, they were very competitive. And obviously Scotty's first, first year there, they were very good offensively. And so, you know, I think that, had the defense married up, you know, the year earlier, you know, I, I do think that we would have had a chance to do some things. I, I think the year, obviously the year I was there, I mean, we were three and nine. You lost a really close game to, to UAB or to, excuse me, to South or South Florida. We lost a really close game to Tulane. You know, we were, we were obviously the first game of the season, a nightmare against, uh, North Carolina A&T, where, where obviously we should have won that football game. We very easily could have been a bowl team that year. Now, Coach, that season, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but um, I think I can't help but to, to bring up Nate Harvey. What a season he had. And uh, you really oh. you really uh, found a gem there in Nate, in Nate Harvey. Oh, man, just uh, number one, just a – first class human being, you know, and just a tremendous young man. And then just, uh, you know, it was a great story. Everyone knows the story, but, you know, he was a backup running back, great special teams player, all that kind of stuff, and comes out as a conference defensive player of the year. And I've been very fortunate. I've coached uh, six conference player of the years at four different schools. And so, you know, we've we've been able to put guys in position to make plays, and, and they've made plays. And we've you know, it's when you when you have edge presence and you have corners, you usually have a chance to be pretty good on defense. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think that, uh, you know, if you can cover and you can get after the quarterback and affect the quarterback, those are those are those are good, good qualities to have. Now, Coach, we're kind of all over the place tonight. But one topic I want to bring up top of this near and dear to Pirate Nation's heart right now. Because I think it really truthfully had a lot to do with why we didn't play our bowl game. You know, I think Boston College used COVID, and this is just me talking, used COVID as an excuse not to play because of opt-outs. I think pretty much their entire offensive line had opted out of that bowl game, four of their starting five, um, because of potential to go to the NFL draft, and their quarterback had been injured all year. Basically, they used COVID as an excuse, but that's neither here nor there. What are your thoughts on opt-outs? I understand these guys, you know, that, that see the NFL – you know, the draft coming up in a few months and, you know, that's a lot of money on the line, but you played your whole career 
you know, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I get it. I do get it. You know, you, you see that money out there in front of you, but at the same time, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't get it also because why opt out in the bowl game? Why not opt out game 12? Why not opt out game 11? Why not opt out game 10? Why is the bowl game any different? No, I, I it, it's been a, and I think you'll see more of it. Honestly, it's, it's kind of the thing to do a little bit. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to the NFL. I'm like, it's kind of like I'm coming out earlier. I'm announcing for the NFL. And it's, I think some kids do it just because they see other guys do it, you know, without putting a lot of thought, thought into it. I think that, you know, it's interesting. You, you look at the teams that are in the final four for the national championship, don't have any opt-outs, you know, it's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and there's a lot of first round picks running out out there on those fields, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I think every time the media blows up, uh, you know, the quarterback, the, the quarterback at Ole Miss getting hurt, you know, I mean, the media just blowing that up and it, it scares guys and it gives agents ammunition and, you know, and there's guys that are, you know, you're, you're a legitimate first round pick and you're playing in the new Orleans bowl. And, you know, do I want to take that chance? I remember when we had Gaines Adams, when I was at Clemson, which we knew was going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft at defensive end. And he was very apprehensive. We were playing in the music city bowl against Kentucky. And, you know, he was like, man, I got to make it through one more game without getting hurt, you know, but when that starts getting in a kid's head, uh, it affects how they play too. And so I, I definitely think it's bad. I, I haven't, you know, what you said about BC, things like that. I think the opt-outs make the COVID situation worse. I do know this. I went and visited with, I, I went and watched practice this, uh, this bowl season with, 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 a, with a team. And while I was there, they were just coming off of, they didn't know if they were going to play. They didn't know if their opponent was going to be able to play because of opt-outs plus COVID had really thinned out positions to the point where they had no backups. And so I think that there is some legitimacy with the opt-outs to if a team has an outbreak. And then I think, you know, everyone around the country right now is seeing the effects of this new, you know, Omicron or whatever they call it, you know, uh, the wave that's, that's sweeping our country right now, that is more transmittable. I do know a lot of teams that, uh, that I have friends that were in bowl games that have told me that they were really close to not being able to play the game. And so I, I do think that – I know fans get upset about it. I know people get upset about it. I, 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 do think I do agree that they're in – I think last fall especially, there were teams that used it as an excuse, you know, not to play uh, when they didn't feel good about the matchup or whatever it was. And, and I do think there are teams that do that. But, but there are teams that legitimately have problems too. Well, I'll tell you what, when you're in a pickup truck on the way to Annapolis, Maryland, you find out that game, it'll make you hot. <laughs> I'm sure. I, 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 and you feel for that, and you, and you feel for, you know, the people, you know, like in NC State. I mean, as much as I dislike NC State usually, you know, as, as, a, as a pirate, you know, but to have the game canceled the day of the game and to have, you know, the you got fans that spend an awful lot of money flying to a bowl site so, you know, and, and things like that. That's that's really, really, really unfair and really hard, hard to swallow. Yeah. And I, I can see, especially yeah. as a fan, you spend money to fly across country to go watch a bowl game, and and the game, the rug gets pulled out from under your feet. I'd be hot too. And you know, my heart goes out to those guys. And obviously, Coach Ruff's there, and, and Ruff and I are very close. And you know, I 
kiddingly was, you know, I, 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 I'm not an NC State fan and I'm an ECU fan, but you hate to see that happen to anybody. Oh, no doubt about it. So that's, that's something uh, when it happened, the, the very thing you just said, Coach, as far as, you know, Pirate Nation had it tough and headed to Annapolis, but flying across the country to San Diego, wow. Yeah. You know what? I kind of I kind of weighed that, though, because he, here, here's my thought on that. Because San, San Diego is a great destination. Right. Yeah, if you if you flew to San Diego, you're already there. There's a lot of stuff to do. If you're, We were going to Annapolis. You know, I was on my way, Bubba. You were on your way. You're only going to – and this is nothing against the city of Annapolis. But you're going to Annapolis, Maryland for that bowl game, drink a few beers downtown, eat some crab cakes. At least if you're in San Diego and you flew out there, yeah. If you flew, you you made a week of that. You, you, make, you make a trip out of it. There, there's no doubt. Yeah. You're, you're turning but, that into a vacation. No yeah. doubt. You're not just going to a football game. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I was – Bubba knows how angry I was. Bubba was angry too. Bubba got – Bubba rationalized it faster than I did. I was just ready to kill people for several days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I had to take Kyle off speakerphone, Coach. I I was crossing into Virginia. Kyle called me. He said, what's going on? And uh, I said, yeah, very quickly took him off speakerphone. But, uh, but no, uh, another hot topic in, in addition to uh, the opt-outs is obviously NIL. Um, a report came out today that former – Eastern Michigan quarterback, you know, Detroit Lion, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, Charlie Batch. Uh, I guess his company had offered um, Oklahoma transfer Caleb Williams $1 million to, to come play for the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Had you seen that, Coach? I did. I saw it literally right as I came on with you guys. And, uh, I, you know, I think that's the slippery slope with the NIL deal that, that the NCAA knew was going to happen. Uh probably didn't want to, you know, it's the whole theory behind the NIL is giving guys that are on your team an opportunity to use their name, image, and likeness to make money. And all of a sudden people are using it to recruit guys to their school. And basically what they're doing is making it legal. Coaches, you we're not allowed legally to set it up, but you can't, as a coach, you can't go to a booster and say, Hey, Bubba, you know, why don't you sponsor Holt Nailers and give him a million dollars to come on your radio show and do all this, you know, but you can do that. We can't do it, but you can do it. And that's what's starting to happen is you have, you have alumni and boosters that, that have money have the ability to do that. that can reach out to a recruiter, can reach out to a, to a transfer and say, Hey, you know, I got an NIL deal for you if you're at my university, you know, and, and, you know, there's really not a lot people can do about it right now. And so I think it's definitely a slippery slope, um, you know, because of the name, image, and likeness, you know, when, when are you allowed to use it? Obviously there's high school kids that are signing NIL deals now. So um, it, it's definitely something that I think uh as is the case with anything, it's going to take some adjusting and people are going to have to learn how to deal with it and how to use it and, and, and the, the pros and the cons of it. And I'm sure at some point there'll be some type of regulation, maybe on when or where you can do it. You know, it, uh, it's got to be post enrollment or something like that. Maybe, I don't know, but I mean, there's going to, at some point there's got to be some control over it a little bit, but right now it's kind of open season and, and, 
you know, you've got guys that, uh, at some of these bigger schools that are, that are obviously making an awful lot of money and, uh, good for them. Uh, you know, I think that part of it's great for the athletes. Um, but it's, uh, it's also one of those where obviously schools that have deep pockets and have wealthy alums and, and great resources, that's going to continue to allow the rich to get richer. Yeah. Like Eastern Michigan. <laughs> of well, all schools you see if eastern can, if eastern michigan can do that can you imagine what some of these other schools can do you know you know it's funny it's funny it's it's funny to uh in inside for me and bubba goes to this eastern michigan because uh bubba knows how much i love chris creighton uh when when when, when not to bring up a sore subject but when coach montgomery was hired uh you know on my wish list there was two coaches mike houston and chris creighton Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Chris Creighton and I'm actually a huge fan of their athletic director, Scott Weatherby, who was yeah. here under Terry Holland. So, uh, I, it's funny to me that this is happening at Eastern Michigan. I hope they get him just because I, I love, I, I love Chris Creighton and love their AD Scott Weatherby. So, uh, it's very, you know, intriguing to me because, because of those guys. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, you know, the, you don't know behind the scenes what's going on. Obviously Brent Venables going in there. Uh, new staff coming in, uh, you know, obviously brought in, you know, offensive coordinator from Ole Miss, you know, but it, did he did he know beforehand that the quarterback from Central Florida was coming in, you know, did, you know, you wonder those kind of things. And then, you know, the statements made by his family or they're looking for someone to prepare him for the NFL and, you know, the, it's not a money grab kind of deal, you know. And so that I think it'll be interesting to see where he lands, you know. It definitely will be interesting to follow. It, the transfer portal is definitely making things more interesting because it's it's really free agency in college football. That is a pro-style offense they run at Eastern Michigan. So uh, if he wants to get prepared for the NFL, it, it ain't no spread it out and sling the ball everywhere. That is a pro-style offense. Yeah. Yeah, and- and the word is the University of Georgia has offered him uh, two million. But uh, you know something you said a moment ago. Sounds so ridiculous. Something you said a moment ago, Coach, um, made me very quickly want to go back to the opting out issue. Um, you've heard a lot of people talk. You know what? What could we potentially do? And do you, do you see anything like any type of mm-hmm. incentives being thrown at these players uh, to? To, you know, to make them want to play in a bowl game that's not the college football playoff? Well, I, I think that would probably have to come from the bowls. Honestly, I think, you know, at this point in their careers, you know, guys, if playing with their teammates and things like that's not enough of an incentive and playing one more time as a whole team and opportunity to go play and enjoy a bowl game. bowl. You know, when I was a player, the Peach Bowl was a great trip. Liberty Bowls were great trips. We had fun. You know, we had fun as a team, and and then we went out and won, which was even more fun. You know, and as as a coach, they've always been fun. You know, their bowl, bowl trips are a reward, and it's it's got to the point where some players look at them as you know it's as, as a duty. You know, where it's something you have to do, and I think that it's sad when you. I, I think some teams that go every year probably take them for granted a little bit, whereas. You know, you take a team like ECU, hadn't been to a bowl game in a few years. I'm sure their players were really disappointed not to be able to go on the trip, not be able to do the things, it, it, you know. That, well, they went on the trip, Coach. Well, that's true. They were there for the trip. You know, but I think there's uh, – I, I, I think that, you know, maybe it's an NIL deal. Maybe the Bulls offer players an NIL deal to play. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they can do, do it legally. Think, <laughs> do you, 
I, I had a I had a thought. I had a thought the, the on this. Cheez Its, uh, the Cheez Its Bowl game in Orlando. Uh, they they sign NIL deals to eat Cheez Its or something, you know. There you go. I, I'll sign up for that. Um, the I had a thought on this, and I don't know if it's oversimplifying it, and it really doesn't involve NIL. Um, do you think moving the bowl games up outside of the 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 you know the the, the New Year's Six and the playoffs? Do you think playing them all? prior to Christmas, um, that week prior to Christmas, it, it seems like there was less opt-outs for those bowls. Um, I, guys not having as much time to think about it. Uh, kind of, you know, your after championship game, pretty much, you know, the bowl game started on like December 16th this year. Do, do you think um, if you play all your bowls outside of the New Year's Six and the playoffs uh, that week before Christmas, and I, I'm sure ESPN isn't going to want to do that, but do, do you think that would help uh, limit opt-outs at all? Uh, you know, I, honestly, it could. I think that you would see a lot of – I know this, a lot of the players and coaches, I can speak for myself, if we weren't in the Peach Bowl, the Gator Bowl, the one of the bigger bowls, uh, the Fiesta Bowls, you know, one of those type bowls, if we weren't in that, I've always enjoyed playing before Christmas, obviously, you know, as, as a coach. You get you get the bowl game, you get to go, you get all that done, and then and then you get a Christmas break, and your players get a Christmas break. The bowl games where you, where you leave the 22nd, 23rd, and we were in Arizona when I was at Pitt over over Christmas. You know, we left on like the 23rd and, and spent Christmas in a hotel, you know, and that's hard. I mean, I, I have a friend that uh, – have several friends that are on the Houston staff, and they spent Christmas in Birmingham. You know, they left Christmas Eve and – and uh, spent Christmas Day in Birmingham, Alabama. Everything's closed. Uh, they basically spent the whole day in the hotel. You know, I mean, the, the city shut down for Christmas. So, I mean, I think sometimes for these players, you know, it's hard on them to be – a lot of them's families can't afford to fly and come see them at the games. And so, uh, you know, a lot of them are, are over Christmas by themselves. But the problem with it is almost every one of the bowls nowadays is on ESPN. And they start at 11.30 in the morning, and then there's a 3.30 game, and then there's a, a 6 o'clock game, and then there's a 9.15 game, and they go all day and every day all the way through Christmas. And, and all these people sitting at home eating their turkey and their ham and all that, they got football on all day, and they watch it just like I did. <laughs> so uh, the TV ratings and things like that drive it more than fans in the stands do. And so I think that's – I think it's something that's definitely – you know, coaches and players would be in favor of, but I don't think it'll ever happen. Coach, you've been very generous with your time tonight. The one more topic we had to discuss with you is obviously Monday night's game between number one Alabama and number three Georgia. But before we um, discuss that a bit, uh, Johnny Robertson chimed in on Facebook. He said, besides opt-outs, there are a lot – kids that also enter the portal um, but want to play in the bowl game and are denied that opportunity. I believe if a kid's on your current roster when a bowl game takes place, he should be allowed to participate. Uh, Mel Tucker at Michigan State allowed 10 of his players that entered the portal to play in the Peach Bowl. Uh, so that's an interesting take as well. Yeah, it is. And that really comes down to the individual head coach, you know, what their philosophy is. You know, um, if guys, guys are going to enter the portal at the end of the season, you know, I know uh, Clemson a year ago or two years ago had a quarterback that was going to enter that didn't do it immediately, that he was waiting until the end of the season. You know, I, I think everyone kind of handles those things uh, 
I know I, there's coaches that as soon as guys enter the portal, they're basically off the team. You know, you your scholarship's honored till the end of the semester, but we don't want you around the football team anymore. Basically, a lot of them look at it as they're quitting on them, that kind of thing. You know, where you know, I think uh, a lot of kids nowadays want to announce they're going into the portal early just so they can get a head start on it. You know, on finding out who's interested in them and those kind of things. And you know, it, to me, if they're going to keep playing and keep being a you know, a part of the football team and that kind of thing. It's not a distraction to your team. I don't really see a problem with it. But, again, I think that's usually up to the individual head coaches. And then you also had Johnny Gardner on Facebook chiming in with, it's crazy to think that in that in our era, um, this is what SMU got shut down for now, just it's out there running rampant. Yeah, it's uh, one of my good friends. I laughed when I saw that just because uh, when I was at Clemson, uh, one of my good friends uh, was a Clemson grad who, you know, he's an old retired coach that used to come around all the time. His name was Whitey Jordan, and he'd been a, been in the NFL, been in the World League, been at Florida, been at SMU. He was a running back coach at SMU when they had Dickerson and the Pony at Stress. And so he, he – uh, he was laughing about, you know, he said, everybody said we were cheating. He said, man, when, when they shut us down, you should have seen the parking lot. He said, the people out there in the parking <laughs> lot, those guys got more to leave us and they got to come to us, you know. And he was always kidding, laughing, joking around. But it, it definitely right now is has a little bit of a Wild West feel as far as uh, the NIL and things like that go. I, I know the traditionalists and people that there's a lot of coaches that don't like it. There's a lot of fans, obviously, that don't like it. But, but I think just like with anything with college football, you better you better learn to adjust. And that's one of the things that drives some of the older coaches out of the business is the inability to adjust. And that's why guys like Nick Saban, uh, you know, uh, guys, uh, Bobby Bowden for all the years, Bobby Bowden was a head coach. The guys that are true legends of the game, they learn to evolve and they learn to evolve with time. And, and guys that, that can't evolve end up out, you know, and, and, and unsuccessful. There's one more thing before we uh... – get to the uh, national championship game, wrap this up. Uh, we talk about transfer portal and, you know, to me, the transfer portal, I, I understand guys should have the freedom to go where they want, but to me it's ruining the game a little bit. And I'd like to see it curtailed just a tad. Uh, go by, I, personally, I'd like to see it go to, uh, you, back to having to sit out one year unless your head coach is fired or leaves for another job. If your coach yeah. leaves, then you can leave without having to sit out a year. Otherwise, I think the kids should have to sit out a year because, you know, as fans, we can't even invest in some of these players. You, you have a player and you fall in love with him, and, and you got to worry yourself to death if he's going to transfer to a Power 5 school. Well, and I think it's what's going to happen is, and you're starting to see it already, is a lot of the group of five schools are going to recruit the transfer portal instead of high school yeah. players. Uh, why, why do you want to go sign a guy, develop him, and all of a sudden you hit on a tremendous player I go back to when I was a young coach at East Carolina and we signed Rod Coleman out of, out of Simon Gratz high school in Philadelphia that had no offers and uh, Ken Treadway signed him. <clears throat> and all of a sudden Rod comes in there and, and is a, just a tremendous player and ends up being an NFL draft pick in today's football. Someone would recruit him right off your football team. And uh, those are the guys that you go out and you sign and develop and, and where you're a program like East Carolina through the years has made a living with Robert Jones and these guys that have just been Jeff Blake's the guys that maybe flew under the radar a little bit coming in that become tremendous football players. And, you know, that that's where it's going to hurt the group of fives is you, you sign a, a guy who is a, you know, a 
maybe a developmental player that you really hit on and, and guy comes in and plays a lot and, and really develops. And then all of a sudden they test the waters and they, they transfer to a power five. And, you know, I think it's a regulation wise, I think what's got to be, and there's going to be some limits. I think there's going to be this year where they have to be in the portal by a certain time. Um, I think uh, what you got to be careful of is, all of a sudden you turn around in July and six guys transfer out and you can't replace them, you know, right before fall camp starts. So I think there's going to be a May limit, you know, um, on you got to be in the portal by May. I think there's going to be some regulations to it. Um, I'd like to see a window kind of like NFL free agency where you got a a two-week window or a three-week window right at the end of the season where you can enter the portal and then it's over, you know, but uh, I I think it'll change. It's going to become more like free agency. And I think there's – Again, this being really the first true year of it, uh, I think everybody's kind of feeling their way through it. Coach, when you take a look at Monday night's matchup between Alabama and Georgia, obviously those two teams met just over a month ago now. Uh, Alabama did something that most people would would have thought, or at least you know, most of the analysts around the country were saying that would not be done, and that was light up a Georgia defense that uh, had given up very few touchdowns all season. And um, Bryce Young threw for over 400 yards. Uh, how do you see the rematch playing out on Monday? You know, it's going to be yeah. interesting. In in the playoff era, I think there's been uh, – in the playoff era, there's been 13 Power Five Conference Championship games that have been rematches. Uh, Oregon and Utah this year was one. Uh, the team that won the first one is seven and six. So I, I think it's 50-50 on the rematches. It's not, you know, people used to say it's really hard to beat a team twice. Well, I, I think that's really irrelevant in this game. I think it's 50-50, you know, if you look at stats in college football. What you said, uh, Young threw 421 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for a touchdown. I think that was big. You know, the, he had 40 yards rushing in that game. Uh, Alabama was able to protect the quarterback. Uh, they struggled against Auburn. You know, uh, they didn't give up any sacks against, uh, you know, against against Georgia. Uh, Georgia brought a lot of four man rush. You know, uh, I think you'll probably see Georgia try to be a little bit more aggressive. If you look at Alabama and Georgia statistically, they're very equal. Uh, Both teams are between 450, 500 yards a game offensively. I think Alabama's 490. Georgia's like 450 a game in, in offense. Alabama scores 41 points a game. Georgia scores 39 points a game. Uh, scoring defense, Alabama's like 19 points a game. Georgia's nine points a game, which is amazing. You know, um, Alabama gives up 290 yards a game. Georgia gives up 260 yards a game right in that area. But if you look at them, the areas where they are different, Alabama's given up 217 yards a game passing. Georgia's only given up 175. So Alabama's defense has been a little bit more susceptible to teams that can throw the football. Uh, Alabama doesn't run the ball as well. Uh, Alabama's rushing offense is not as good. Alabama throws for over 300 yards a game where Georgia's a lot more balanced. Um, Alabama's 110th in the nation in sacks allowed. Georgia is second in the nation in sacks allowed. Well, they're second and third or third and fourth in sacks by team. Both of them, both of them are top five in the nation in getting sacks. Georgia's second in the nation in allowing sacks, and Alabama's 110th in the nation. So I think the fact Alabama was able to protect the quarterback was a big deal. They turned around against Cincinnati, gave up two sacks and four quarterback pressures. And so they're not going to be able to go out and run the ball the way they did against Cincinnati. And I thought Cincinnati really – 
hung in there. If they don't get all those passes batted down, that could have been a really interesting football game. And I, I thought Cincinnati looked more worthy of being there than Michigan did, you know, uh, just no doubt. No doubt. In, the two, in the two games. But I think this game's really going to come down, and I, you hate to say it, but it's going to be who can affect the quarterback uh, and can – because both of them give up like 85 yards a game rushing. I don't think it's realistic to think if one of those two teams can come in there and establish a run game, then they'll have a great chance to win. But I think it's unrealistic to think that both teams, that either one of them can establish a run game against those defenses. And so I think it's going to come down again to the quarterbacks. And, and you know, Georgia threw for 340 yards against Alabama, but you had a pick six and you had another costly interception. And so – you know, I think the big thing, Alabama's quarterback's proven he can put the team on his shoulders and go win it. Can Georgia's quarterback do that? In that game, he didn't. He threw the pick six. He had the other costly interception. You know, that's, I think, going to be the biggest thing. I think on paper, Georgia's a better team. They're a deeper team. They're more balanced. They can run it. They can throw it. You know, Alabama's a little more one-dimensional. They, they're they're become more of a throwing offense. Both teams play great defense. Alabama's a little more susceptible to pass, but, you know, it's uh, it's hard to uh, – Coach Saban does. I mean, obviously he's won a lot of these for a reason. This is going to be an interesting game to watch and, and a fun game to watch, you know, and I think that you got probably, in my opinion, the two best teams in the country. I mean, they're, they've proven that. Um, Alabama didn't look as good through the season as Georgia did. Georgia looked – Georgia looked like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of football team throughout the season that didn't have very many weaknesses. And and they got exposed a little bit in that conference championship game. Um, they'll be hungry, but there's also – I spent four years at Jacksonville State, and we won four straight conference championships. It got to a point in our league where we were in people's heads in conference games. Uh, a lot of times I think people put us up on a pedestal and I think you got to, Georgia's got to be careful of that as Alabama in their head a little bit. They've lost four straight, whatever it is to them. Kirby's never beaten them. Um, is Alabama in their head a little bit? Is the confidence there that they can truly go win that football game? It's going to be interesting to watch. On that topic of pressuring the quarterback, uh, one of the one of the shows I listen to a lot is I'm pot up with Matthews in the morning and one of the points that Shane Matthews was making, um, he said, watching that game, uh, Cincinnati, as you mentioned, was able to pressure Bryce Young quite a bit and really disrupt him, uh, sacking him two or three times and uh, so forth. And uh, you could tell he was really uncomfortable, and they were doing that with the with the three-man front, obviously. Uh, you know, Georgia runs a different defense, but do you think Kirby Smart and that defensive staff, do you think they'll implement some of those things that UC was doing? I think you definitely because I mean Georgia's is, is I mean Kirby comes out of the Alabama family of defense which is their base three four that, that morphs into a four man front a lot and so I think uh, I think I would expect to see Georgia bring more pressure in this game you know they really I think they really felt going into the last game it looked like that after watching Auburn's front four Auburn Auburn got after Alabama with the front four you know with not a lot of pressure just their ends were giving them a hard time and I think. I think Georgia probably was a little arrogant coming in. As good as their defensive front had been, they're the best in the college football, the best defense in the nation. And I think they probably came into that game feeling like confident that they could get pressure with their front four. And, and obviously in those kind of games, adrenaline kicks in. People do things. They Maybe they chip the ends. They do some things to, to minimize the four-man rush. But I think I'd probably see Georgia be more aggressive this time. They're going to blitz more. I'd probably see – 
I, I would be shocked if you didn't see some odd package, some of that stuff that Cincinnati had success with because Cincinnati was able to get after them in the past game. They, they struggled stopping the run, but they were, they did, they were able to affect the quarterback. And I think that's uh you go back to the Auburn game, they were – obviously that was a game that Auburn had won. If the running back stays in bounds, the game's over and Alabama's not even in the playoffs, you know. Uh, but, again, the quarterback is is the key to the castle. I mean, obviously playing Alabama, that kid put them on their shoulders and went and won the Auburn game, and then he played lights out against Georgia. And they, they're going to have to affect the quarterback. The other thing I think that's a big difference for Georgia is Alabama really made them – limited their playmakers, you know, against Michigan, they had four different receivers score touchdowns against Michigan against Alabama. The only player on the offense that had over 50 yards of offense was tight end against Michigan. They had four different players that had over 50 yards of offense. And so I think that Georgia's got to spread the ball around. They got to They got to be balanced. They've got to move the ball around and, and not become one dimensional where Basically, Alabama took their people away and said, you can have the tight end. This is what it is. You got the tight end. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, again, can Georgia's quarterback carry him if the run game's not there? And then can he move the ball around? Because when they move the ball around, they're, they're tough to defend. No doubt. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out on Monday night. And uh, will definitely be a tremendous ball game, we'll Coach. And we certainly didn't intend on – keeping you this long we appreciate you being so generous with your time and you know pirate nation certainly uh, you know praying for you we know you're gonna land on your feet and um and you know do an excellent job wherever you end up well just uh yeah we ecu's our favorite place uh, my family uh we've bounced around but definitely my son it's his favorite place we've ever lived and uh, he wants to go back. I, it wouldn't shock me if he doesn't end up in two years as a, as a freshman at East Carolina in college. I mean, he loves it there. And, you know, we do as a family and very, very strong feelings about the place. But we appreciate y'all having us, having me on. And I've enjoyed it. I got nothing else to do right now. So I might as well get on here and talk to you guys. So I got time on my hands right now as I'm, as I'm still searching for that for that next spot. So. You know, but, uh, you know, definitely would love to be back in Greenville one day. You never know what's going to happen in this profession. So, you know, it, it's definitely a special place to us. No doubt about it. Um, Coach, take care, and we'll talk to you uh, down the road. All right, man. Y'all have a great night. Thanks, Coach. We will continue talking um, Monday night's game now and talking George Alabama as well as I'm sure some other topics, maybe a little coaching carousel. Welcome in from ESPN, Rini and Golia. Rini, how are you? Guys, I'm doing great. And first of all, I got to say, I'm a big David Blackwell fan. Uh, I've dealt with him many times. He's a really good coach. And, and as you guys signed off there, I'm wishing him nothing but the best. A lot of people, the assistant coaches, coordinators, everyone just forgets about them during all these big coaching moves around the country and uh, it can take a toll on families, you know, and it, it's a tough life. People always ask me, why didn't you coach? You're so much money. And I'm, I'm like, do you understand what kind of life that is? Uh, it, it's a hard life. So wishing coach Blackwell uh, the best. And, and I know he'll land on his feet because he is a good coach. Yeah. Like you're there saying is a lot of money. In, there, well, hold on one above there. There is a lot of money in coaching or any, but not near the money there is in a true crime sports podcast. So before, before we get going, I early, Rini. I have to, well, let's, let's get it out of the way. So Kyle, you in 2022, you'll be happy to know the last week 
Um, I, I've been putting together a, a podcast. Uh, I'm taking your advice, and it is going to be it is going to be a crime one. Um, I'm going to partner up with a good friend of mine who's a homicide detective, um, and and we're going to do it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mix sports and crime, and we're gonna. All I right. think what we're I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back and look at some good cases, past and present, uh, and kind of break them down, and then have some fun along the way and some behind the scene look. So uh, if it takes off Kyle uh, and it does good, I, you, you will get the credit and, uh, and you will at least get will dinner I get from a me. We'll see how much it takes off. You know, everybody thinks they're the next Joe Rogan. I don't. Um, and, and you know, you've been pushing me to do this probably for a year now. Um, yep. So I'm going to do it. I mean, listen, uh, it can hurt, right? Uh, it's my downtime now. So we'll see if it takes off. So, uh, well, you're definitely going to get credit uh, if it if it works, and if it doesn't, you'll definitely get blamed. So <laughs> get blame. one way your name's going to be in there. So you better listen to listen to and retweet every every episode. Oh, I will. There's, there's oh, right. a I, I, look, you, you, you wait. You, you wait until it, until it catches on so big, and Randy's asked to do you know ESPN specials. It becomes an ESPN series, ESPN Plus. You know, I'm telling you right now, true crime is one of the hottest genres out there. You take that with sports. Some some of the mess I see on ESPN Plus. I'm telling you right now, a, a weekly true crime. And we're, we're moving it. We're already moving up. We're we're going from podcast now. Now that you got the podcast going, I'm pushing for an ESPN Plus series for you. Well, so let, let, one step at a time. Let's get that podcast going. <laughs> so I, I mean, in all seriousness, I'm hoping in the next month or so we'll have it launched. I'm in the beginning stages of figuring stuff out, but you know, I, I think it, I think it could go Kyle. I think, I think you might be onto something, but we'll see. We'll, you know, you never know with podcasts. What, what, I can't, what ends I up going and what doesn't. All right. So. I can't wait to hear it. Looking now, forward Ray, to it. Here recently, you had the opportunity to do something new. So, you know, tell folks about that opportunity um, that you had to work with the Under Armour All-American game. Yeah, so I did the practices. Um, and so for those who don't know, the Under Armour All-American game, they come down here. The game uh, is, like I think it was Sunday, Sunday the 2nd at the Citrus Bowl. But the whole week uh, that both teams are here and they practice out at, at ESPN Wide Rural Sports. And we put, ESPN puts two of those practices on TV. So I, I got to do uh, kind of the field analyst where I kind of walk around, observe, watch, uh, interview, talk to the players. And I can I tell you guys, I've done – I've done it a couple times now. It by far, and this was a consensus with everyone there, all the other analysts and the guys that really do the the nuts and bolts in recruiting, Craig Halbert and Tom Luganbill. It, it's the most talent in one place that, that they've seen, uh, and, and by far the most talent that's been involved in the in the Under Armour All America game. So, so to, you know, give us a glimpse behind the scenes and just that that um that process and you know some of the um talent that you did have the opportunity to see you know who were some of those you know young but very talented uh, high school players that stood out so uh, the, the thing i think that's the best uh for the players is um you know everyone not, not everyone but there's a lot of five stars there and there's a lot of four stars so you know when you're playing in high school you're by far the best right and you you dominate then you get there and you're practicing against them, you're doing one-on-ones, and you're like, holy cow, everyone's really good. So it's a really good indoctrination to get the kids ready for when they go to college. And a lot of these kids were leaving uh, really this week. They were enrolling, a lot of early enrollees. I mean, that's that's one of the new things. Um, 
a couple guys uh, stuck out to me. Uh, a guy by the name of Walter Nolan. Uh, he's a defensive tackle. He was the number one rated player overall, even higher than Travis Hunter. Um, and he's going to Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher. I think I think A&M had fifteen players in that Under Armour All America game that's go that are going to A&M. So uh, it, it's just a matter of time before A&M, A&M is in the playoff. I mean, he just he can't help himself. I mean. The talent there is is ridiculous. So he was again a defensive tackle, probably about 6'3", 320. I watched him in one on ones. No one could block. I, I saw him get blocked one time, um, and I forgot that offensive tackle's name. But he was headed to Texas. But other than that, I mean, he was dominating. He was power, bull rush, speed, everything. And then Travis Hunter, the, the, the kid that's going uh, to Jackson State, and it's gonna gonna play with Dion. He's the real deal. I mean. He's a, is good. He may be a better wide receiver than he is defensive back, but obviously going to Jackson State and playing for Dion, he's going to be a DB. He's going to probably play both ways at Jackson State, to be honest with you. Uh, he's the real deal. He was really good. Um, and then the other uh, one that really uh, impressed me, and listen, they were all impressive. Um, Luther, uh, uh, I think it's Luther Burden. And I hope I didn't mess his name up because uh, there were so many kids there. He's the, he was the number one ranked wide receiver in the nation. He's from goes uh, from St. Louis. He stayed home. Missouri got him. Missouri actually had a pretty good recruiting class, and they got him to stay home. He was really impressive. You know, like a 6'3", 220-pound receiver with speed that can run, big-bodied, uh, athletic, can jump. I mean, it is crazy. Um, when you look at the physical attributes of these kids today, it, it is unreal. Um, and, and going to all these big time programs, so the the future of football, not only college football, because many of these kids uh, are going to be uh, playing in the NFL soon. Uh, the the future of football is bright. And I think uh, Steve Mariucci, the uh, the great coach, uh, he's a part of Under Armour, and I had some good conversations with him. I want to say in the fourteen year history of the of Under Armour. They've had 71 first-round picks playing that game, going to be first-round picks in the NFL, which is pretty extraordinary. Rennie, uh what did you think of the Military Bowl? I didn't, I didn't catch the Military Bowl because I've been, like, so busy. That was this week, right? <laughs> I don't even – it hasn't even been – it was East Carolina's bowl game. We, we you know, got canceled. Oh, no, I thought, I thought you were talking about the uh, other other All-Star game. I apologize. Yeah, well, no, I, no, I, was no, probably, I was probably as aggravated as you guys were. A little different because I, I look at it, you know, I try to be uh, subjective, right, because I'm kind of on the outside. You guys are in the, uh, you know, ECU fans. Um, and, and I was aggravated. And, and Kyle, it was – it just reminded me of basically the season that I went through the year before with COVID. So, yeah. and listen, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not casting aspersions. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I understand what Boston College said happened, and I get it. But what I will, I will tell you in general, and I went through this during the 2020 season, is if, if, if you give a team uh, or a program a, a built-in reason, I don't want to say excuse, but a reason to shut stuff down, they're more apt to do it. So, you know, if you lose four or five guys for, from COVID and you can normally play a game, but, oh, by the way, you got five transfers and you have seven other injuries and you have opt-outs or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, and then you combine it all in, of course the program is going to say, we're not going to play this game. We're, we're not. 
we're not at the capacity to play the game. So when you give programs that choice, that's what's going to happen. And that happened to a lot of just regular season games that, that tried to get played uh, in, in 2020. So that, that's kind of what it reminded me of. And I, I felt really bad uh, for ECU, the program, and not getting a shot at that. So it was, it was unfortunate. Yeah, when you, when you have your four of your five starting offensive linemen rumored to be opted out and your quarterback – just came back from an injury with an injured hand and probably don't want to play behind a uh, backup offensive line. And now you got reportedly six players with COVID and uh, yeah, it's uh, it becomes, it becomes a nice, uh, a nice uh, reason, as you said, to be able to uh, not play that bowl game. And let's be honest, right. When you're, when you're a power five team, right. And you're in the ACC, it, it, it it's only going to hurt you, right. Because if you play the game and you win it, Everyone's like, well, you're supposed to win it, right? It's a, well, it's an American. We have, we have, you know, it's kind of a tradition to lose to East Carolina if you're an ACC team. Yeah, you know, North Carolina, <laughs> yeah. NC State does it. You know, so we just was giving Boston College an but opportunity I, I to was, the fans. That the day before, I mean, I was so psyched for that game. I was like, all right, a good, we're gonna get a good game, a good matchup. And I had so when I did my bowl predictions, uh, when I did the uh, the American Athletic Conference uh, bowl special, I was undefeated. I, I was. I was four. I ended up going four and zero, oh, but of course, all the other three of the games got canceled out of the American, including the one we're talking about. So, um, but I was really looking forward to that game because I know how and you, you had picked East Carolina to win it, and uh, your your your, uh, your co-host on the show did also, if I remember right, the young lady. She did. I don't remember what her name. She did. So, yeah, uh, uh, Morgan Uber. So yeah, but so yeah. I was I was excited for Coach Houston and the players, and, and excited for a good ball game, and then just you know, obviously, it, it's just. It's tough, right? It leaves, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but you know it, it. That wasn't the only game. So I mean, look at look at Memphis, right? I mean, they were in Hawaii. Um, you know, people are like, "Oh, they got a free trip to Hawaii." Listen, they went there to play the game. You don't want to go all the way there to play a bowl game, and then at the at the you know last minute they say, "Yeah, we can't play." You know, so yeah, and it's off to Central uh, Michigan. Taking an opportunity, taking advantage. You know, we were given the same opportunity. Our athletic director said logistically we couldn't pull it off to go to the Sun Bowl. Well, hats off to Super Michigan for getting that opportunity to go to the Sun Bowl when the Arizona Bowl got canceled, taking advantage of it, and upsetting Washington State on on CBS at, you know, 12 noon on New Year's Eve. You think that didn't help their program and get a couple kids' attention? Sure it did, yeah. And but but I but I understand where these athletic directors were coming from. I mean, logistically, it can be a nightmare, right? Trying to go to another bowl game, and then on top of it, if you haven't done any prep for a team, that's that's really hard too. I mean, when when Rutgers got put in the Gator Bowl, um, at least they had like ten or eleven days to try to prepare for Wake Forest. That was an uphill battle because Wake Forest is a really good team this year. But just going back to your point, Central Michigan, kudos to them, right? And, and Coach McElwain getting them in that bowl game, switching it up like that, and going down there and getting a big win. Yeah, and, and the reason, you know, the, the preparation point of it, I understand, but it, both, it goes both ways. You know, East sure. Carolina wouldn't it, have had a chance to prepare for Washington State, and wouldn't Washington State would have had a chance to prepare for East Carolina. I know it's a lot closer, though, from Tucson, where Central Michigan was for their bowl game to El Paso, than it is from Annapolis. But and, and, still, and that's the thing, Kyle. I think it, I think it's more logistical issues than it was, you know, prepping. I mean, the coaches, if the game gets scheduled, the coaches are going to do their best and they're going to go play it. And like you said, it's, it's both ways, right? It's both teams. But I think it's just more of a logistical nightmare 
um, trying to trying to get everything, all your equipment. A lot of people just don't realize everything that goes into bringing a football team on the road to a bowl game or even even just a regular away game for that matter uh, to play. What were some other bowl games, Randy, that really caught your attention? You had Tennessee Purdue. That was a tremendous game. Um, let's see. Hats off to Purdue, Bubba. They had a boatload of players out and went ahead and played that bowl game and beat Tennessee. They did. They had their best player out too. I mean, so yeah, that was an exciting game, I and mean, that's I think what we think, right, Bubba and Kyle, about bowl season. That's that's the fun, right? That's people love college football, right? And and the ratings are great. We know that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk on social media. The the people, the uh, the naysayers. Oh, there's too many bowl games, but the numbers don't show that. And then you see a, a game like that, Tennessee and Purdue. Um, that's just a, kind of a shootout. That's a fun game. That's what it's all about. So, yeah, that was one I liked. I'm just kind of scroll, scrolling through the bowl season as I look to the right here to see what other ones. Early on, early on, you had that Coastal Carolina-Northern Illinois game. That was that was really good, a shootout, 47-41. Yeah. Uh, um, talk about Utah State and the job that played yeah, Blake Anderson did a phenomenal job, and you know he he left Arkansas State, and I did a had a couple games of his when he was at Arkansas State, and and obviously, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, he he left, went to Utah State, took it over, and a lot of people say, well, that's that's kind of a, just a lateral, right? It's Group of Five to Group of Five, but if you remember, his wife passed away from cancer, had a had a long battle with cancer, and the people I told, it, it was almost like a reset for him, right? Because he couldn't go anywhere in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Um, you know, without the memories and just just everything flooding in. And I, I know that can be a tough proposition. So kind of like a reset coaching for him to get up there to Logan, Utah, which is a beautiful uh, part of the country. I've been there a couple times. Um, and, boy, what a tremendous job, as, as you just said, Bubba, that he's done at, at Utah State. Uh, and so hats off to him. One of my favorite games of the bowl season was uh, watching UAB, uh, who's, you know, joining the American – uh, on ABC and the Independence Bowl, uh, beat BYU, and uh, what what a win for the Blazers! Yeah, and that may you know that's definitely one of the bigger upsets of bowl season for sure. And, and you're right. So obviously there was a lot of talk. Um, the Big Twelve, excuse me, the Big Twelve was really happy with their programs that are leaving the American, going there in uh, you know Houston with a win, UCF with a big win over uh, Florida, and I actually went to that game as a fan and kind of sat in the stands. I haven't done that in a long time. Um, obviously the year since he had, even though they lost to Alabama, um, and then BYU talked about got upset in that bowl game, but they had a good year. Um, but I think the American is pretty happy with the teams that are coming in, uh, as well. And you just mentioned one of them in UAB and, uh, UTSA had an outstanding year and, uh, and they had an upset win too, beating San Diego ranked San Diego state team in their bowl game. So, uh, a lot of good matchups this year, uh, for sure. And again, I, I just, Bowl season to me, guys, never ever disappoints. I mean, the only the only thing that was upsetting this year was the the, the games we got canceled because of COVID issues. Yeah, I think San Diego State won that bowl game. Yeah. Wait, what was that? As far as San Diego, San Diego State, 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 State beating UTSA, but uh, oh, they did. I read that wrong. Okay, so but, there you but, go. But, That's but, late. Yeah, don't you love being called out on the podcast there? Yeah. <laughs> But since you brought up San Diego State, uh, Kyle brought up an interesting point and uh, something that I definitely 
did realize just because I followed it pretty closely, but, um, you know, the job that he had done at Ball State and then obviously um, also uh, he had a good year or two at Michigan. So, I mean, what he had won 10 plus games at three different schools, Kyle? Yes, Brady Hook has won 10 plus yeah. games at three different schools now. Yeah, and and that this is and it's a, this is his second tenure back at San Diego State, correct, Kyle? Right, he was there earlier, so he yeah uh, he was there. Uh, Ball State, San Diego State, Michigan. Now back to San Diego State, yeah. and uh, so yeah, and he's a good coach. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, you're right, and I misspoke as I look at the score now because it's late at night and I'm old. But yeah, yeah, San Diego State beat him by two touchdowns, but still a good year for UTSA and a great year for San Diego State. So yeah, a lot of a lot of good matchups. Uh, you know, the Army Army beating Missouri, and I, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Army finished their season out in the in, in the right direction after you know getting upset by Navy in the uh, in that game. So, but yeah, a lot of good matchups, as I said, the, the UCF Florida game, kind of a sloppy game, uh, but but a big one uh, in the state of Florida for UCF for sure. Well, one that surprised me a lot, and. Um... I was glad to see it, being an East Carolina guy. But uh, South Carolina just kind of whooping North Carolina. Did not see that coming. Yeah, and a lot of you know, a couple of people asked me about that game, and obviously on paper, once again, and in, in, in personnel wise, North Carolina, you, you look like they would have won that game. So it's a team uh, that I think kind of underachieved this year, right? And South Carolina came on strong at the end. So Shane Beamer. Uh, when you watch Shane Beamer and you just see him interact and, and what he's doing for that program, it's genuine uh, and you can see it. And uh, they're getting in the they're, they're recruiting and the transfer portal. And so it's going to be, I think it's a good position for South Carolina. It's really, uh, they're in the right direction there. And this is a 100% true story, Randy. And uh, Pirate Nation, most of you will know this, some of you will not. 2015. Uh, East Carolina's athletic director at the time, Jeff Comfer, made the poor decision to fire Ruffin McNeil. Brady Hoke was in the office, final interview. Jeff Comfer decided not to hire him. Shane Beamer had just been let go along with his dad. Well, his dad retired at Virginia Tech. Shane didn't get the job. Shane Beamer contacted Scott Montgomery about the job and was not given an interview. So just remember that Pirate Nation. Contacted Jeff Thompson about the job. Yeah, what did I say? You said Shane Beamer contacted Shane, Scotty Montgomery. Scotty Montgomery. <laughs> He's got all those names floating around in his head. It's all right. Yeah, contacted Jeff Comfort about the job. And Jeff Comfort decided to hire Scotty Montgomery over Shane Beamer and Brady Hoke. So just remember that Pirate Nation. Yeah, it's, it's the coaching carousel is always tough, and then especially when you look back at what what could have been. Um, yeah. I mean, and how about like you know, how many years? And you guys will know this exactly. How many years was Lincoln Riley at East Carolina? Now I know he was really young, but you'll I'm sure there's Fine. pirates. I'm sure there's pirates fans are saying, "I don't care how young he was. We should have kept him and gave him the head coaching job." Right? I'm sure you guys hear that all the time, and I don't, maybe you guys. Well, know you know, well. I, I don't I don't know how you do that. You you couldn't have. Though Ruffin was fired one year later, I I really don't think you know if 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 Jeff Comfort would have told Lincoln, look, we're going to fire Ruffin in 2014 to keep you and make you head coach, he wouldn't have done it. Uh, Lincoln yeah. Lincoln owes his coaching career, uh, or at least a part of his coaching career to Ruffin, and they're very close. And so I, I don't think that could have happened. You know, I, I suggested early into Lincoln Riley's tenure, 
uh, that we make him head coach and waiting because you know I didn't know how long you know Ruffin's still coaching though now he didn't see sure. since so I you know I I didn't think Ruffin would still be coaching at this point to be honest but you he, know, he's still coaching. And the funny thing is, and that was really that was like an invoke thing, right? The coach and waiting thing a few years ago. Yeah. And then what you found happening was, even though coaches were coaches in waiting, other jobs were opening up and people were offering them, so they were leaving anyway. So, yeah. you know, I guess it's kind of nice to have. But one thing that the college football world has showed us is guys aren't afraid to leave, go other places, and, and programs aren't afraid to open up their checkbooks and, and get coaches they believe are the right fit for their program. No doubt. Um, well, who do you think the best hire was this offseason? I don't know if we had this discussion. We had you on prior. Are you going to Lincoln Riley at US? The, the one that I like a lot, and to me, you know, I, I had this discussion with Coach Blackwell just a minute ago. A good friend of his, Joe Moorhead. Uh, to me, Akron hiring Joe Moorhead. I don't know how Akron could have pulled off a better hire. To, to me, when you look at when you look at what what a program has to offer. And who they could have got, you know, USC could have got anybody sure. they want. Akron getting Joe Moorhead to me was the biggest coup of the uh, of the coaching season of the. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and exactly. So when you get a coach with the pedigree of Joe Moorhead to go to the MAC, that that's a big deal. And so you're you're on the money with that, Kyle. And so uh, and I I did a Mississippi State game a few years ago when Coach Moorhead was head coach. So I, I had conversations with him, and then we have a bunch of mutual acquaintances, friends, however you want to say it from back in the day. I and mean, he used to, he used to be the head coach at Fordham. So, and assistant yeah. coach back in, up in the Northeast. So we have a, a, a lot of mutual friends. Um, so I had some good conversations with coach Moore, but yeah, I would agree with you. that. That's a huge get for them, um, you know, to get him to go to Akron. And so, yeah, and it's just, it's so hard to, to keep track. I think, I think the final count was 28 or 29 new coaches uh, at the FBS level. So um, it's crazy. And, and the funny thing is we'll know in about three years, right? Which ones were the good hires. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, you got to look back. And I, I, I like to give coaches the, the three year mark to see what they can do. So. Yeah, no doubt. Now, Randy, I have a question, um, or actually Johnny Gardner on Facebook has a question for you. I'm gonna put on the screen here. Yeah, I did. So I know Ron Valone. I haven't talked to him in years, so and I'm sure you guys don't know who Ron Valone is. So Ron Valone was an all-conference tight end at UMass, about 6'3", 240, phenomenal tight end. Um, he's from New Jersey. Um, and so Ronnie's locker was right next to mine. So when I was a true freshman, Ronnie was, I want to say, a junior. And, I mean, our lockers were right next to each other, so I got to know Ronnie real well. Um Ronnie happened to be a really good pitch, pitcher, baseball pitcher. He's a big lefty. So that year, I want to say uh, 93, 92 or 93, he pitched for the UMass baseball team and went down, you know, as the, as the Northeastern schools do, they always go down to Florida for about three weeks or a month and play. And in the time that they were down at Florida, he went something like eight and one, uh, and then in, in a game against, I think it was USF, a matter of fact, um, struck out like 19, uh, was timed uh, with his fastball at like 91 nine miles an hour in the first inning and like 94 in like the seventh inning. Unbelievable. And then that year was just phenomenal. And he ended up going first round in the major league draft to the Seattle Mariners. Mar uh, Mariners. He was number fourth pick overall. <laughs> 
and then ended up playing. If you look around Bologna, I think he's been, and I'm not even exaggerating, uh, I think he's been with about 20 or 21 major league teams in his career, and he ended up being a setup guy, which is, like, phenomenal, right? You come in and you, you pitch to, like, one batter a game at the end of the career, but he did it all. He was a starter at in the major leagues, and he was a, a middle reliever. He was a closer, then a, he ended up being a setup guy. But, yeah, so I, I did overlap with Ron Vallone, and I do know Ron Vallone. That's a funny question. Yep. Renner, are you, are you a big baseball guy? You, you bring up baseball. There. I, 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 so, you know, growing up, Kyle, I'm probably much like you guys, and this, this is one thing that aggravates me with our world today. I played all three sports, right? Whatever season it was, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And whatever season it was in, that's what I wanted to be professionally, right? If it was basketball season, I wanted to be a, a, a shooting guard in the NBA. And if it was baseball season, I wanted to be a center fielder for the Yankees. And football season, you know, I wanted to play in the NFL. And I think that makes you a better, well-rounded athlete in whatever sport you end up picking. Now these kids, just they just don't do it. I mean, I see it with my daughters. I mean, it's soccer all year long, and you can't do anything else. And, and these parents have these kids saying, well, we got to specialize on ah, baloney. So that's one thing that drives me nuts. Um, so I used to be a huge fan of all the sports. I, I've, I've actually fallen away from it. I mean, I'll, I'll still watch. Um, I still understand the games well. I don't know the intricacies of the people anymore because I just I have too much going on in my life. Um, college football, and I really don't even watch that much NFL, to be honest with you guys. Um, everything kind of revolves around college football, and if it's not college football, it's it's just my, you know, my family life. I got you. I, I didn't know, you know, some guys, uh, Jay Sunhalter, ESPN plus analyst, former East Carolina tight end, uh, calls basketball all the time. And I'm like, you know, Jay, you, you play tight end in East Carolina. What are you doing college? Play? Calling basketball. He, Jay will be like, you know, Kyle, basketball was my best sport in high school. So listen, if my bosses want me to call anything else, I will certainly do it. So I, so funny story. Um, when I got done with UMass and I was I was transitioning to become a, a, a an NFL player because there was a, a like a year period there where I didn't I didn't get drafted so I was kind of floating around as a free agent. I had a passion, a basketball passion. I used to love refereeing basketball, so I was a high school uh, official. I refereed uh, basketball in in upstate New York, um, and I loved doing it. So I I really understood basketball a lot, and then baseball. Actually, um, a lot of people said that was my best sport. I was a better baseball player than football player. I was a center fielder, um, you know, played for a long time, leadoff hitter. Um, and when I went to UMass, I almost did do both, as I talked about Ron Vallone doing it. But I was one of those guys where I just – I didn't want to miss spring ball, um, yeah. spring football. But, you know, as I look back now on it, I wish I would have taken the shot. I tell people all the time – regret is the worst thing you can live with. So while you have a chance to do something, do it. Cause you don't want to be 50 like me and look back and say, ah, I wish I would have did that, you know, cause that always eats at you. But, um, but yeah, so I loved all, I love all three of the major sports. I actually, I'll watch a lot of hockey too. It's one sport that I never played. Um, but I, but I enjoy it, especially playoff hockey like everybody else. Yeah. And as we sit here in January and, uh, you know, we're about to talk about the national championship game here in a few minutes and, we're in the heart of basketball season, but let me tell you something. I don't know if you, how much you know about East Carolina beyond football, but people say East Carolina is a football school, and now nah, nah, we're a baseball school. Uh, top 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 twenty baseball program year in year out, and about this time, most Pirate fans are starting to get itchy for February. 
and the start of college baseball season. So uh, it's gonna going to be fun around here in about in about a little over a month now. Yeah, and the Americans the Americans are really good conference. I mean, I've gone to some UCF baseball games. They got a nice little stadium there, and so yeah, it's a really good conference. I, I enjoy it. I haven't been to a college baseball game in a while, but uh, they're fun. I, I will give you uh, so you, you live in Florida. The American Conference tournament every year is uh, is played down there in uh, Clearwater. Yep. Uh, and uh, it is, I hear great things. I've never been down there for the tournament, but hear great things about the stadium um, and, and the in the whole. Well, you would know Clearwater. You live in Florida, so yeah, uh, it's a beautiful area. So, but that you know that that that's an idea. I should probably shoot down there, maybe catch some games this spring in when the tournament comes down here. That's something that I'd probably look forward to doing. No doubt. Uh, I was kind of killing time here, waiting for Bubba to come back so we can talk about the national championship games. You're wondering why I'm rambling about baseball. Bubba's there. Bubba's there. I'm quit rambling about baseball now. (laughs) Now, uh, hey, I do have to impress. uh, I do have to admit that I am impressed, Kyle, that you, uh, you know, switched gears and started talking baseball. I thought you would have stuck with college football. Well, you know what? I'm I'm very versatile. It came from the uh, Johnny Gardner question. Which led into a natural baseball discussion, Bubba. So, um, Rini, you heard yeah. that conversation. You, you heard probably the last 10 minutes or so where we were pretty much talking the national championship game with uh, Coach David Blackwell. And uh, you heard his take and, you know, thoughts on some things. Uh, you know, how do you see this rematch playing out? So, I mean, I, I've always lived by a rule of thumb uh, as a broadcaster when two teams play each other a second time, I always give the advantage to the team that lost. I, I just do because I, I just think when you're a good team and you lost the game, you're able to make the adjustments necessary. Um, with that said, though, it's Alabama they're playing against. And you, you just – how too many people have been burnt, right, betting against Alabama and Nick Saban. I, I just don't know how you do it. Um but the one thing you know, with all the complaining and all you know, everything that goes on in college football, we got the two best teams in the game, you know, and yes, they happen to be from the same conference. Um, so I'm excited for the game. Um, and, and pretty much, and I did, I, I heard what coach Blackwell, excuse me, said um, it's going to be interesting. I agree with him. I do not think Alabama can run the football against that, that Georgia front seven. I mean, they didn't do it in the SEC championship game. But what Alabama did, which really surprised me, and I think surprised a lot of people, was that offensive line protected Bryce Young, right? So I heard him say, yes, Georgia needs to get to Bryce Young. And, and you brought, I think you brought it up, Bubba. And it, 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 I tell people this all the time. You don't have to sack a quarterback. You just got to get him off his spot and just make him uncomfortable. Bryce Young was very uncomfortable against Cincinnati, right? Um, but the good thing for Alabama, and, and, and this was the biggest thing, guys, and we didn't really talk about this. This is the biggest difference between the group of five and power five, and we saw it in that game, is interior line play, right? I mean, Alabama was a bully in that game, and they said, we're going to run the ball, um, and that's what they did against Cincinnati. And that, was to me, was the, obviously the difference in the game. But that you're right. They, they didn't protect well. Um so I think Georgia's definitely going to get after Bryce Young. But to me, it, it, this game hinges on offensive line play once again. It really does. Now, I do think Mechie being out of this game it makes a way bigger difference than it did against Cincinnati by far. Um, because not only does Alabama have to protect, um, quick passes, right? So 
just Slade Bolden step up. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks has, has stepped up well. Uh, and Jameson Williams really, again, not, not a big passing attack against Cincinnati whatsoever. So, you know, can they protect? Can they get those quick passes out kind of like they did in the SEC championship game? And, and then for Georgia, uh, Stetson Bennett, um, can the kid win the game? Of course he can. Um, I, I think for him against Alabama, it's more mental than anything else. I really do. I think it just it gets in your head, right? And I think uh, that Alabama defensive front, defensive line, Will Anderson, they're going to get after him. Same type of thing, um, try to make him uncomfortable. Um, and, and can he protect the football? Those two interceptions crushed him uh, against Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I believe the last time they played the other game, he had two or three interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, or, or he's had, had some big interceptions, some big games. So he needs to protect the ball as well. And can, can Alabama, can Georgia run the ball a little better as well? So listen, I don't think we're going to see anything uh, crazy from either team. I think we all know kind of what they need to do. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of with coach Blackwell. I, I, I really do think it's a 50, 50 game. And if it wasn't Alabama, I would say I am going with Georgia in this game. They lost earlier on. They kind of got punched in the face and, and woken up. But because it's Alabama, I just I, I refuse to bet against Alabama until until they show me they've lost. Now I did. I should say this in full disclosure. Um, I, I don't have a rooting interest. I love college football. Right? Um, I went to UMass. Obviously, that's my alma mater. So when they play, I, I won the win. My wife kind of grew up as a little girl in, in Alabama with a lot of relatives. So she's a diehard Bama fan. Um, I will say this, my, my, my life is much easier when Alabama wins. My wife's in a really good mood um, <laughs> when they lose, um, not so much. So we, uh, a few years ago, my wife never asked me for anything. And a few years ago, she said, hey, if Alabama makes it to the national championship game, so this would have been 16, the game was in 17 when they played Clemson. So early in the year, she said, if they make it to the championship game, can, and it was in Tampa, can you get tickets? Um, and I did. And everyone thinks I got free tickets from ESPN. I did not get free tickets. I bought them at face value. They were expensive. So we went down there. And that was a great game. And that was the game um, where Clemson won uh, basically with four seconds left, the, 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 the uh, touchdown reception in the end zone. Um, so uh, Bama got me that time. I spent a lot of money yeah. for my wife. But other than that, I mean, they just – they're just always there. So uh, I'm just looking forward to a really good game, and I think we're going to get one. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, that was a tremendous, tremendous game. Remember it well. But, uh, you know, something else that you know came out here within the last three hours or so, I just happened to see it a moment ago, and that is uh, an announcement as far as the college football playoff. Uh, this is from Brett McMurphy. Um, he said in Las Vegas and Miami we're going to host the college football playoff championship games in 25 and 26, respectively. And that those dates would be either the 6th or the 20th of January uh, for that first game in Las Vegas, um, you know, depending on whether the college football playoff expands or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Las Vegas is, I mean, a phenomenal. It's a fun city, right? I mean, um, so that, that's going to be an interesting uh, championship game when it goes there for sure. I think that'll be a lot of fun, but, but you hit on it too. And so I, I had did someone's show a few weeks ago and they said, you know, give a, give a bold prediction for 22. I don't know how bold it is, but I, I think this year 
um, especially with Georgia and Alabama playing in this game. Uh, I think the the powers to be will come together and they'll solidify a 12-team playoff. Now, I don't know when it'll go into effect. I think that's a different issue, a different talking point. But I, I, I think this year, I think they're going to sit down and I think we're going to get a 12-team playoff um, solidified before the end of 2022. Just my prediction. Well, the group of five. Will the group of five get a uh, get a legitimate spot? Will it, well, will, and you know, that's the, that's one of the hold, holdups, right, Kyle? Because some of the conferences, the alliance, right? Um, they want the five autonomous five schools, those five conferences, to be automatically in. And the original, you know, subcommittee that looked at it said, no, it should be the top six conferences. I mean, if yeah. you if you don't have enough faith in your conference that you're going to be one of the top six. And you're an you autonomous. That, that to me, to me, that says volumes, right? Um, so I, I think I think it needs to be the top six conference champions, top six ranked, highest ranked conference champions, um, and and then you got the the six at largest after that. I, I, I mean, I, I just don't, you know, I, I don't see it any other way, you know. So yeah, I, I agree with that 100. I would take the language of the five autonomous five champions and then the highest ranked champion of the group of five. I would take that because you'd end up with the same thing most years. Correct. But it, yeah, it, it would, it would certainly sound fairer to say the top six conference champions. Well, and, and like, again, granted it was the COVID year 2020, but we all know under that format, you would have had the Sun Belt champion in and Coastal yeah. and would have had Cincy in. So, you know, so if you're those conferences, you're like, no, let's, let's be the top six. But I, I, I understand what you're saying, Kyle. So, but but to my point, I think the language will get solidified this year, and I think everyone will come to an agreement, and uh, and we'll move onward and upward. So, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, Rainy, um, the final thing I have for you as we wrap this up, um, one of the things you often see from various media outlets is you know a way too early top twenty-five or things of that nature when they need content. You know, yeah. heading in, heading into the 2022 season. Um, after Monday's game, um, you know, what are some of the things that you know that you maybe a hot take or two on on something that could happen in 2022? Well, my hot take is, and I think you guys touched on this, is how the hell do you know? Because you don't even know what players are going to be on what team. Yeah. I mean, the transfer portal yeah. is ridiculous, and then the quarterback position. Right? I mean, I just read something where um, if you if you count all college football, so Division two and Division three. There's over 4,000 players in the transfer portal. That is oh, crazy. And I, I want to say 3,000 or 2,800 are FBS players. Um, and you just see the movement in the quarterback. So with that said, that I'm, I'm kind of I'm wimping out on your question because I, I really don't know. I, I just, just think it's so hard. I think the one thing um, we do know is I think the haves will be there once again, the Alabamas the Georgias, the Texas A&Ms. I think the top of the SEC will have it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. And it's funny. I, I was going to say it's going to be interesting to see where Clemson is. I would love to be a fan of a program where they say you had a down year and you won 10 yeah. games and a really good bowl game. So Dabo Sweeney really, hats off to him, right? Um, but but it, 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 in, in regards to where they normally are, it'll be interesting to see where, where Clemson bounces back. Um, but I think Ohio State's going to be there again. Um, we'll see what happens with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. I know there's some talk that he could go to the NFL, but th but they got a lot of uh, you know a lot of talent there as well. So um, you know, so I, I guess my early prediction is 
the the the, the teams you think are going to be good are going to be back up there again. You know, who are going to be those surprise teams? Hard to tell right now for me. Um, I'm interested to see what Mario Cristobal does at Miami. And again, it, it's tough to to get right in there one year uh, on the job and really turn things around. But but we'll see. Someone will do it. There's going to be some pri- surprises next year for sure. Are you surprised yeah. Oregon kind of become a, a a a stepping stone type job with the money they got from Nike? I just think it's it's you know I, I just think it's a tough. First of all, the the Pac-12 has their issues. We know that, right? We just kind of talked about it, right? In terms of like going to a 12 team playoff. Although a 12 team playoff is gonna would I think it helps the Pac-12 out tremendously. Um, it gives them a lot more opportunity. I just think when you're in that part of the country, you're just kind of isolated recruiting wise. And, and people say, oh, baloney, they got every, you know, they got Nike and they got all the money in the world, like you said, and they got phenomenal facilities. But it just goes to show you when you're kind of isolated there, it, it's hard to recruit the entire country. Um, and, and then really, and that's to the bigger, larger point for the Pac 12. And that's where Lincoln Riley comes in. The Pac 12 teams have to start keeping. Uh, top-notch players home at the West Coast, right? I mean, just look at all the players from Southern California that have left and gone to the SEC. Just one conference, right? It's it's ridiculous, right? The, you know, Bryce Young, and so they need to start. Um, they need to start keeping uh, some of those players home. Um, and I know uh, his name escapes me. I believe it was Dante Williams. They they kept. Uh, I could be wrong, but I know uh, USC kept a top-notch prospect home this year, and it was between USC and Alabama, and they kept him home. So they need to start doing that. Um, and once they do that and they start keeping some of that talent, I think you're going to see the Pac-12 kind of to, to rise back up. But just to get to your initial point, I just think it, it, it's tough in Oregon. And really, Mario Cristobal, again, to me, that's a legacy thing. He, he He's – He's Cuban American. He's from Miami. His family's there. His mom was sick. He was going back to Miami. He played there. And to me, that that really played into it. And I think Miami just finally said, okay, we are gonna pony up. We're gonna pay what we need to, to pay. And we're gonna we're gonna fix our facilities here, which they have to. It'll be interesting to see. Um, rumor is that they might get an on-campus stadium. Uh, where the uh, Coral Gables High School is, I think there's nine or ten acres there. They could do it, and they would relocate to get, get a new high school. I think that would help them tremendously because as much as these programs want to say, "Oh, we play in Hard Rock or we play in Raymond James USF," there's nothing like an on-campus stadium. It makes a world of difference for programs. It really does. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, and, and I think it, it would help Miami out tremendously. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there as far as the uh, on-campus stadium. And when they build it, um, it'll be interesting to see how big they build it because even with all the success they had over the years, I mean, sure, they had games at the old fabled Orange Bowl where they had sellouts, obviously. But, you know, they didn't necessarily always draw as well as you would have thought based on their, their success. And so maybe a stadium, you know, similar to something like Baylor has, that's very, very nice, yes. but, um, but not much more than about 45,000, yeah, 50,000. I was going to say forty to 45,000 is a sweet point. And then you just put in, especially in Miami, like Coral Gables, then you, you just put in a bunch of suites, right? Because that's what people want, you know. 
bunch of suites, get your money there, 40, 45,000. Baylor's nice. Um, you know, what you guys have in Greenville, I love that stadium. UCF's 45,000. Like that, that's like the sweet spot for, for a lot of programs, uh, which is really good. And then when you kind of, you know, you don't have a great crowd and you have 20, 25,000, it doesn't look bad in that stadium. The sound's still good. You know, when you put 20,000, 25,000 in a 65, 70,000 seat stadium, it just, the optics don't look good. You don't get that energy, but you can still get that energy from 25,000 fans in a 40,000 seat stadium. No doubt about it. And that's something here in recent years, you saw the university of North Carolina, what go from at least 60, maybe 63,000 seats to, down to 50 or 51,000. when they put all the, the light blue chair backs in Keenan. Yeah. Put the, the suites and the, 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 the uh, hospitality uh, seats where you can go inside and, I think that that goes a long way. It's a lot better. Well, Rainey, we certainly appreciate you uh, being so generous with your time and uh, patient with us tonight with a little bit later start than anticipated. But uh, certainly hope your uh, 2022 is off to an excellent start. And we look forward to catching up with you down the road and obviously look forward to uh, having you back on to talk about your podcast once you, you get all the, once you get all the details figured out and, and promote it. Sounds good. Happy New Year to both of you guys. And and yes, if the if the uh, podcast takes off, I, I guess Kyle's gonna have to get some type of royalty, but we'll have to figure it out. Hopefully, we don't have to get the lawyers involved, but we could probably figure it out. So it, 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 it's gonna be big, Randy. It's gonna be big. Hey, I got a case for you. It's not sports related, but uh, are you familiar with the Delphi murders? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting case, not sports that related, the, but uh, that's the fa family, right? Was there family involved with that? Or no, no? I'll I'm look it up. It's the Delphi murders involves, involves two young girls getting killed uh, on a oh, bridge, okay. and uh, so it's, it's a very it's unsolved, and it's just a case that kind of, ah. I don't say fascinates me, but it, it interests me. Um, so, not sports related, just something for you to look up in your spare time. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. All right, take care. Tremendous conversations with David Blackwell and most recently uh, Rini Angolia. Um, you know, if you enjoy hearing college football talk and um, not only on the field, but all the uh, surrounding things like NIL, opting out, et cetera, then uh, that's just a podcast for you. Yeah, no Kyle, doubt. Kind of, kind of all over the place. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Bobby, you're cutting, you're, you're cutting out, Bobby. It's on your end. Um, okay. Yeah, right. podcast kind of all over the place tonight, but a uh, lot of college football discussion about the NIL and, and opting out and bowl games. And uh, I, think, I think it makes for a lot of interesting topics along with the national championship games. Now my dogs want to chime in. But, uh, yeah, I heard, I heard the uh, toy, the squeaking toy back then. Yeah, that was actually Jessica. No, no, that was uh, that was Nikki uh, was squeaking her uh, squeaking her toy, running around playing, and now the Chihuahua wants to bark at her for uh, squeaking her toy. But uh, anyway, uh, kind of all over the place at the, the end of the podcast. But uh, thought it was a good show, Bubba. And uh, uh, as, as we wrap things up here, last night uh, I know you guys did a post game basketball podcast. I did not participate, but huge wins for the Pirates last night and. Now we go on the road to Temple. Can we get two in a row and get to 11-3 and three on the season? Yeah, and you take a look at Temple. Uh, Temple had certainly had their share of struggles this year, but they went on the road um, down to a UCF team that had you know, just beaten Michigan by double figures. 
Cowboys and and went down there. I think they were even playing the game shorthanded and, and won in Orlando. So uh, right, right when you, I mean, we can certainly go up there and win. I'm not saying that, but um, that game is going to be uh, you know, even more challenging than you may have originally thought. Pirates are going to get it done. We're, we're, we're going to keep rolling. This is going to end up being a surprisingly good basketball season. I just got a feeling, man. Last night there was just something about that game. Watch me be wrong as crap, but it was just something about the way we played in that game and didn't give up. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see what yeah, happens. We're finding ways to win, uh, something that we haven't historically done uh, on a consistent basis. And and we're kind of doing that now. Um, you know, even when we don't have our A game, we find a way to uh, get it done. And hopefully um, the, cr- the crowds will uh, grow because last night left a lot to be desired. I know we're dealing with COVID. I know we're – I know we're dealing with. Yeah, I uh, wanted to comment on that a little bit, Bubba. I, I think that had a lot to do with, the, with with people just out of sight, out of mind. You know, we we had two basketball games canceled. We have right. not played a basketball game since prior to Christmas. Fifteen days. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people probably didn't even realize that game was being played last night. They probably yeah. thought we were still under COVID falls, and uh, you know, plus a lot of people are sick. So um, I, I think you you kind of got to take last night with a grain of salt with the attendance. Um, I would expect if, if we can go on the road and beat Temple, the, the next home game, which uh, when, when, when is that and who is it, who is it against? Okay. Between now and then, we have two road games. Um, in addition to the Temple game, we also go to Cincinnati. Um, but the next home game is Saturday the 15th, and that will be against the very talented Memphis Tigers. Uh, not only do you have Penny Hardaway as the head coach, but you also have – Rashid Wallace on staff and Larry Brown on staff, and uh, you know Larry Brown's won pretty much everywhere he ever went, um, college or pro uh, in the NBA, w- with the exception of Matt Simmons's New York Knicks. And uh, you know they Get just have, they have so much talent on that roster. They're just trying to figure out how to uh, to manage all that talent. <laughs> Well, I ain't just coaching talent. They might may not know how to manage. You might have too many Chiefs and not enough Indians. But uh, I, I, uh, I so, so that'll be next Saturday with the Memphis Tigers in town. Yeah, if we can win one of these next two on the road, uh, you know, you, you figure that for, for for the Tigers coming to town, uh, maybe we'll have a much bigger crowd on a Saturday next Saturday with Memphis coming in. Yeah, no doubt. And I um, you know, appreciate Craig as always chiming again on. Chiming in again on Facebook, he said, "You guys are grabbing great guests. Uh, congratulations on your success." Appreciate Coach Blackwell is excellent. Um, they're very uh, straightforward and gives you a lot of great insight, uh, a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will. And then uh, Rini and Golia, he's you know for probably at least two, maybe three years now. Uh, very early on in our podcast. Uh, he came on and and then not only does he come on, he comes on and spends, you know, 30 to 45 minutes or more with us. And uh, we really appreciate that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, both great guests. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as Rennie goes on now, and by the way, if, if people aren't familiar with Rennie and Goli's background and didn't understand the, the continuous references to true crime podcast, in addition to being an NFL, excuse me, being an uh, ESPN analyst for college football, former NFL and a uh, UMass start running back, uh, Rennie was a, was a homicide detective uh, down in Florida for many many years, and uh, uh, th- so uh, th- that's uh, that's why I kept 
kind of harping on him to do a sports-related true crime podcast. And uh, looks like he's going to do it. So if anybody was wondering what that was about, uh, that's the relationship between him and True Crime. Um, before we get out of here, a few things we want to plug. Uh, obviously, our ALS um, fundraiser, TSO's Strikeout ALS fundraiser, our goal is $2,300. If we can raise more than that, uh, I mean, I think I, I will not be surprised if we raise significantly more than that. But, uh you know, it's off to a pretty solid start, and we're, I think, right around $250, and we've only uh, been at it for 24 hours or so, so we appreciate um, the five individuals we've had contribute to that, um, and that is pinned on our Facebook page. Just search the Sports Objective, and it's the purple logo, and then uh, you also have it pinned on our Twitter account, which you can find at the Sports OBJ. Uh, you, we also on Facebook have the Pirates Cove, and the Pirates Cove has seen significant growth over the last old week and a half to two weeks. We have about 85 new members and are uh, closing in on a thousand in the group. So if um, you're on Facebook, definitely send us a request to join the Pirates Cove. And then uh, lastly, um, here we are early in 2022. Um, a lot of success. Uh, obviously, the baseball program um, just continues to roll under Cliff Godwin. Basketball has shown significant improvement. Hopefully, that will continue. And then um, football program. Um, obviously, the, the football program is what um, you know drives the ship, so to speak, with all the money involved and um, the passion that Pirate Nation has for it. And um, with that being said, um, we really need – to grow the Pirate Club. At the Pirate Club's largest point, um, we had over 8,200 members this year when we were right around 5,000, maybe just under. Uh, so, hey, if you if you can, uh, if you're passionate about the Pirates, uh, call 252-737-4540 or go online to ecupirateclub.com. Um, you can certainly reach out to us at thesportsobj at gmail.com if you have any questions. Or, um, you know, obviously just reach out directly to the Pirate Club via ecupirateclub.com and they'll be glad to answer your questions or you can give them a call and uh, they'll be glad to answer your questions. But uh, stay tuned uh, here in the coming days and throughout 2022, uh, we'll be releasing a series of Pirate Club shorts, I'll call them. And, um, you know, you'll hear from former athletes, coaches, fans, about what it means to them to join the Pirate Club and why they feel it's so important and uh, why we need to significantly increase our numbers, not only donors, but also um, the amount of money we're raising. Because one of the crazy things when you look at it, Kyle, um, the, the money is pretty much um, – we've hit our goals for the most part in terms of dollars raised, um, maybe not always, but fairly close despite our shrinking membership. So you've had fewer people – you know, giving more. Yeah, and that's great, but it's always to have, it's always nice to have more people give more. If, if those few people keep giving more, and then we have more people, that'll be even more. So, <laughs> you know, thanks to all those current Power Club members for stepping up. But uh, we need to grow this thing, man. You, 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 you're either you're not going to ever stay the same. You're either getting better, or you're getting worse. And uh, we've been kind of treading water here in the last couple of years after a significant decline. You know, we need to start climbing it back up and get that membership back towards 8,000. And uh, I think a good goal by the end of 2022 would be to have 6,000 Power Club members. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
really have to see a significant increase there. And I'm um, kind of uh, along those things. Well, we definitely can. And, uh, you know, along those lines, uh, you also have the Letter Winners Club. Um, that, that is um, different from your Pirate Club membership. Uh, that is $100 for Letter Winners. And uh, some of the, the perks that come with that, uh, you may receive free tickets or at least reduced price tickets uh, for not only football games, but if you're, you know, within, you know, a three or four hour radius of Greenville where you can get to Greenville for men's basketball games, baseball games and uh, things of that nature, it's well worth it to uh, to join that letter winners club. And and obviously you just hopefully the main reason uh, letter winners are doing that, uh, in addition to those perks, is just supporting the program that meant so much to them and continues to. Bubba, you completely cut out, man. I don't know what happened. But uh, can you hear me now? There? Yeah, we got you. Now, okay. is that letter winners? Is that letter winners club a chapter of the pirate club? I'm not sure exactly. I, I think it is, but um, I, don't hold me to that. I I know it's it's on the ECU pirate club site, obviously, but um, I I think they. Uh, may look at it as a branch of the Pirate Club, but I do know that, uh, uh, according to Matt, Matt, Big Guy Maloney, that um, several letter winners are members of that in addition to the Pirate Club itself. So uh, so you, you do um, get a variety of perks with the Letter Winner Club membership, but um, not exactly the same as the Pirate Club and some of the things that are offered there. Gotcha. Well, Bob, I don't know about you, man, but I think we've uh, beat this horse to death, ran this podcast into the ground. In the words of our <laughs> friend, the great immortal Dave Richmond, I think it's time to wrap this thing up. Yeah, no doubt. Dave would be proud of us tonight, Kyle. You know, going. We're pushing. some rambling fools. He'd be proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we put three hours or so. I mean, this is, this is a Dave Richmond style podcast. Just keep going, just keep rambling. <laughs> an hour and 50 minutes uh our uh our, our soliloquy we'll be, we'll, if, if you we will gotta hit, we gotta hit a round number we gotta get to two hours yeah hey we, we only got uh 10 and a half minutes to go but no um we appreciate everyone tuning in our next show will be on saturday uh, we'll have a pirate basketball overtime pirates tip off against the temple owls up in philly at two o'clock uh, so showtime is to be determined uh, but we'll have that uh, we'll have um, Brian Pays, um, probably better known as B Pays, uh, he'll be joining us uh, on that show um, for at least part of it. Uh, he's really passionate about pirate basketball, and um, so he'll join us. And who knows? Well, maybe he used to uh, play for the Lady Pirates. Isn't that what he said the other day? No. Oh, shots fired. Um, B Pays will be on to defend himself <laughs> on, on on Saturday. Um, I'm sure. Um, obviously, B Pays isn't. Isn't uh, viewing right now, even though he's so off. Didn't he say he played for Ann Donovan? Is that what he said? I, th I think um, he he said he and some of his friends uh, would scrimmage against them in oh, practice, uh, you know, to okay. give them a, All right. a, a you know a taller, more physical um, a body to to play against um, to get them ready for, for a competition. All right, I misunderstood. Because I actually one of my uh, family friends and my parents' neighbors. Uh, he was he he honestly he never played high school basketball, but he was six seven or six eight. So he went to school at Charlotte, 
and the, the Charlotte 49ers women's coach got him to come out and practice against um, their team uh, and just to to give you know their six four and six five girls a big six seven six eight body to go against. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I I didn't know that was done. Uh, intergender basketball, but uh, nothing nothing wrong with that, I guess. As how do the fouls go? You know, can can, can you just go? You just go throw an elbow at one of the girls. Hey, some of those girls probably kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, – I certainly um, – if, if you were in that situation, you're opening yourself up to uh, some humiliating experiences if you if you don't uh, hold your own. Uh, if, um, you know, other guys on campus caught wind of uh, you, you getting dominated in the paint – Dominant. Uh, what a minute, huh? Yeah, yeah I, I know. I, as soon as I used that word, I was like, "Oh gosh, I was, I'm going to hear about that from Kyle and Johnny and whoever else." But uh, um, totally harmless choice of words there. Um, but let's go ahead and get out of here before I stick my foot in my mouth. But uh, you know, here uh, Craig says, "And Donovan's taller than B Pace for sure." Yeah. Oh yeah. And Donovan was six eight. Um, B B Pace. I'm not sure where B Pays is, but I, I think B Pays is, I don't know, because um, maybe six feet to six three, somewhere in that range. But uh, but uh, B Pays will be on the program for overtime on Saturday. You glad you got all this air time tonight. Yeah. Uh, hey, you never know. Uh, and. So we got our upcoming content with the Temple Show, and then next week we'll have the Voice of Pirates, Jeff Charles, on Thursday, and uh, some other content headed your way, I'm sure. And that is not be here at the end of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so then you got uh, Mark. Um, good night, guys. Great show as always. Appreciate that, Mark. But for the absent Dave Richmond and Kyle Barber, I'm Bob Rosenbaum. You've been listening to and uh, watching. On Facebook Live, YouTube, and Twitter, the Sports Objective. Have a great night, everyone. Go Pirates.